Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. beginning our Christmas message series called White Elephant. Uh, you know, it was a great little video to, from the, movie, the show The Office to kind of illustrate what that is. If, uh, you know, all throughout the holiday season, uh, people are hosting and attending Christmas parties. And one of the things that happens most often at these events is a white elephant gift exchange. How many of you have ever participated in one? In case you're not familiar, it seems like most of us are, but in case you're not familiar with what a white elephant gift exchange is, it kind of goes like this. Everybody who comes to the party brings with them a small gift that's wrapped up, and they all put it underneath the tree. And then you're assigned a number. You pick a number out of a hat that kind of tells you what order you're going to go in, so that when it's your turn, you can either select an item from under the tree, or if someone has opened gifts before you, you can look around the room, and if you see something you like, you can take it from them and then give them, and then they would go pick the gift. Or someone then comes along and takes a gift from you. You now go to the tree, and then you get to pick a gift. And so sometimes Sometimes you end up with something great, and other times you end up with something completely terrible and awful. So you really never know, but it's a fun kind of party item that happens. Now, you might be asking yourself, why are we talking about a gift exchange at church? Like, isn't Christmas supposed to be about something else? Christmas is not about gifts, right? We've all heard that. Well, here's what I would say. I have noticed that there are usually three types of gifts at every white elephant Christmas gift exchange. The first one is like a meaningless gift. There's usually something that nobody cares about. It's a useless gift, and so you're trying to get rid of it. So if you have it, you're hoping that someone steals it from you, right? There's usually a meaningless one. There's almost always an awkward gift as well. There's something that that you open it and you just kind of cringe. You're not really sure what it's for. Maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable. So equally, you're also trying to avoid it and get rid of it. But then there's always this one gift, that this one gift that everybody wants, this unrivaled gift that is, that is something that everybody is trying to get, everybody's trying to take, and you, it's for sure going to change hands multiple times. There's always something like that. Now, we're not, not talking crazy expensive gifts. Like in the trailer, there was a $400 iPod video. You know, most of the time there's, a, there's like a 5 or $10 sort of gift limit. But still, there's almost always something that everybody is searching for. Now, why are we asking or talking about gifts at Christmas in our service? It's because The reason I would say this is because I I believe that the white elephant gift exchange is really a great metaphor for what we all experience at Christmas time. We're all searching for something at Christmas time, and we experience these types of gifts as symbols for the types of things that we all go through at Christmas. But really, there's only one gift that really matters. And if we find that gift, if we find the one gift that matters, then it actually begins to add meaning to the rest of our lives, every other area of our life. And so over the next three weeks in our series, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the various gifts that are found in Christmas, and we're going to explore those gifts, and we're going to discover the one gift that is truly worth searching for. Now today we're going to begin by exploring one of the gifts of Christmas, and that is the meaningless gift, the meaningless gift of Christmas. I remember my first white elephant gift exchange. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And my dad, who was a pastor at the church that we were living in in Maryland, um, we had a Christmas party at their church. And so I remember uh, when it was my turn, I got to go over to the tree and I was walking over to the tree and I would go down, I had knelt down and I'd, as any good little boy would, he wants to find the gift, the best gift. So you're looking at all the shapes, 
You're picking up items and weighing them to see if maybe it feels like this one is the best one. You know, he picks them up, put others down. Well, I had found the one that I chose, the one that I believed was going to be the gift. So I pick it up, proudly walking back to my chair, everyone's eyes on me, and I thought, we should just stop the game right now because I know what I'm going to get. I know that I selected the best gift. And sure enough, I opened it up, and there was this wonderful gift. I can't exactly remember what it was. It was 11 years old. I mean, and let's be honest, these gifts were, what, $5, $10 max gifts, you know? But I remember being thrilled. I think it was like a, like a little remote-controlled car or something. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm excited. I was, this is perfect. Nothing else needs to happen. I can go home. I don't even need Christmas presents for the rest of the year. I'll be really good. But what happened next ruined my night. So the next person's turn, and I'm thinking, I'm just looking at this wonderful item. The next person decides to walk over and tap me on the shoulder, and they stole my gift. Little punk took my gift. I was so mad. I was mortified. I was angry. How dare you steal my gift? So now I was stuck, right? I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I remembered there was hope. Maybe I made the mistake. Maybe this wasn't the best gift. So instead, I had another chance. If someone takes your gift, now I get to go back to the tree. So I went over to the tree, you know, feeling a little unsure of myself, but sure of my abilities that I would be able to find an equally good gift. So then I do the same thing, and I walk back, and I go, oh, this one feels nice. It's kind of heavy. It's got a metal box. Okay, this has got to be good. It's got metal, right? And I unwrap it, and let me tell you, it was not what I had hoped it was. You know what it was? It was a tin can of stinky sardines. Yeah. That was my gift. My night was over. It was ruined. I was so angry because someone had taken my beautiful gift and left me with a meaningless, stinky pile of tiny fish. I was so upset. I was so angry. And I would have loved, I would love to stand here today as a 36-year-old man and tell you that I handled it well. I would have loved, I'd love to be able today to tell you that I knew that it was just a game, that it didn't really matter, that, that, you know, what we're here to do is enjoy the presence and time of each other and the fellowship with each other. I would love to tell you all of that, but it, it didn't happen. No, what really happened was I whined the rest of the night. I complained to my parents and to everybody around. I moped the entire night. I was a miserable wreck. My night was ruined all because... I was left with a meaningless gift. Now, that's a really silly story, right? Very silly story of a young boy who couldn't get over his own self and couldn't get past something and took this thing way too seriously. But here's what I would say to you, is that I think if we really think about it, this is kind of what happens to a lot of people, ourselves, maybe someone in the room at Christmas time. We feel like we're stressed out all the time, We get grumpy and frustrated at Christmas because we feel like we're left with nothing. How many times after the Christmas season is over, after we've done all the shopping, after we've opened the presents, after all the busy parties and the friends and all the things that we do and the family visits, how many times have us, at least at some point in our life, after Christmas is over, left, been left feeling, was there really a point to all of that? that I don't feel great. Like, I love Christmas, but I have experienced the feeling of getting so caught up and so wrapped up in all of the different things of Christmas that I have been left with feeling as though someone had stolen the best gift from my hands and left me with something meaningless. That's what I feel like so many people have experienced in our world. I see grumpy people at Christmas. I see stressed out people with their hair, like pulling their hair out. I see them at Christmas, and I think it's because they have lost 
the meaning of Christmas. Christmas is supposed to be a gift. But what it has become to so many people, maybe someone in this room today is saying, you know what? Christmas is stressful for me. And there are a lot of reasons, right? I mean, some, for some of us, Christmas is not a beautiful, joyous time because of our family situations. Maybe we're struggling at home with various things, and I understand that. There are various reasons why Christmas may not be a naturally joyous-filled event. But what I would say is, is that my, my thought, what I would like you to consider today is that perhaps... That no matter what our circumstances are, if we truly understood the real meaning behind Christmas, that would transcend those circumstances and would allow us to really experience the meaningful aspects of Christmas that would actually translate into the rest of our lives. I believe that with all my heart. The truth is that unless we really find the one gift that truly matters at Christmas, Christmas is meaningless. And will always leave us feeling empty. Now, why is that? And here's what I would say to you. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the first thing to write down today. Is that Christmas is about discovering who rather than what. Christmas is about discovering who rather than what. And once we discover the who of Christmas, everything else begins to pale in comparison. Everything else. Now, most of us know the backstory of Christmas. You know, we come to church. Most of us have grown up in church or have experienced Jesus at some point in life. We know the concept of Christmas, that it's about Jesus coming to earth and being born. And so that's the reason that we celebrate Christmas. But why is it that Christmas is a meaningless gift without discovering who Jesus is? Well, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, discovered something about Jesus And in the book of Philippians that we're going to read from today, if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull it out and open it up to Philippians chapter 3. The book of Philippians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the people in Philippi. And if you're wanting to know where Philippi is, it's about eight and a half hours northeast of Athens, Greece. Okay? So it's in Greece. So if... So Paul writes a letter to the Christians who are in Philippi and he's talking to them about what he has experienced in Jesus and how he relates to everything else in his life. He's talking about these these friends of his, these individuals who are complaining about their lives and complaining about some of the things that are happening in their life. And then they're not understanding how Jesus has changed Paul's life. And Paul is about to tell them why everything else is meaningless unless you know Christ. So Philippians chapter 4, verses verses 4 through 10, we're going to read. And it will also be on the screen here for you if you don't have a Bible with you. This is what he says. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Let's stop there for a second. What is he saying? Confidence in the flesh is essentially is the things that I have to boast about. If you were to make a list, a checklist of all the things, right? Like, hey, listen, you think you've got it going on, but let me tell you why I could boast about how good of a person I am. Okay, this is what he's about to say. And then he goes into a list in verse 5. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This is very common for Jewish people at the time. If they were uncircumcised, they were considered unclean individuals. So he's saying... And first off and foremost, I'm circumcised. Then he says, of the nation of Israel, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying, my tribe is one of the better tribes in the entirety of the nation of Israel. He says, I'm a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. I'm not a Hebrew and a Moabite. I don't come from different different backgrounds. My genealogy is from one source, and I can prove it to you. And then he says, regarding the law, 
I was a Pharisee. I was a teacher of the law. So you're going to come talking to me about what the law said. I will tell you because I know about it. And then he says, regarding zeal, I was the one who was persecuting the church because he was talking to Jewish people at the time. He was saying to them, like, listen, I was the one who had so much zeal for the law that I was once hunting down the church. And he said, and regarding righteousness that's found in the law, he says, I was blameless. So he said, if anybody has anything to boast about, it's me. Essentially what he's saying here is, listen, I had all the things. I came from the right background. I came from the right home, from the right family. I had the right job. I had the right, all of the different things, everything. I had the right status. I was a somebody. I was everything. If anybody had a right to boast about what it was like to live the good life, it was me. That's what Paul was saying. But then what does he say here in verse 7? But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he continues, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. And check this out. And I consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him. Now, what was it that Paul discovered that made him think so lowly of everything else in his life? He's using some pretty strong language here, right? Let's, let's consider for a second. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, one, that he considered everything that he had prior to his connection with Jesus to be useless, He's like, the home that he came from, the house that he had, the status that he had, the titles that he had, the houses that he bought, the cars that he drove, the neighborhood he lived in, whatever it might be, right? He said, all of those things are nothing. I consider them lost compared to my relationship with Christ. Not only that, he then goes on to say, but I consider everything, all things. And the word that was used there is the Greek word panta, which means literally everything. Like, not just everything as in, like, the steps or like a pew, he's talking about everything. He's talking about whether it's a pen in my hand or it's the, ma the majesty of all of creation, the mountains, the stars, the universe, everything. He says, not only are the things that I had in my life, the possessions and the accolades that I had, not only those useless compared to my relationship with Christ, he's like, he considers anything that you could name on a list to be useless in compared to the knowledge of knowing who Jesus is. And then he goes further, and he compares all of those things to dung. Now, I looked this word up because I really was like, why did they choose that word? Well, here's why. Because the Greek word means garbage, it means refuse, but it also means excrement, right? So let's, let's just put this into comparison here. What Paul is saying is that when I met Jesus and he gave me something that I haven't found anywhere else, I found hope, I found life, I found healing from my brokenness, I found a new identity, I found an ability to belong even when everyone else makes me feel like I don't belong. Whatever it is in your life that you need that Jesus can provide for you, Paul found it in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he said, and suddenly I looked up and I looked at everything else, my job, my paycheck, my relationships, all the things that I love, the things that are good. He says, and I think compared to Jesus, they're all like poop on the street. That's what he's saying. He compares all of it 
the mountains and the stars and the galaxies. He thinks that everything compared to a relationship with his creator is like nothing. It's like garbage. It's like waste. That's crazy. But he found something. So what did Paul discover? That knowing and experiencing Jesus was far more valuable than knowing anyone or having anything else. What Paul discovered was that everything in life is meaningless and worth throwing away if we don't know Jesus. Now, wait a second. Back up, pastor. Are you telling me that Paul thinks that everything, like that everything is worthless? Like, is he telling me that it's wrong for me to enjoy giving gifts and receiving gifts? Is Paul saying that, that I, I shouldn't enjoy spending time with family and friends? Is Paul telling me that all the things that I have in life, the good things that I have in life, that I shouldn't be thankful for my, my paycheck or that, that God has provided me a, a nice house and I have these things, I've got nice clothes. Should I not enjoy them? Should I just throw everything away because it's worthless? No, that's not what he is saying. What he is saying is that those things are worthless if they're given the position in our lives that they were never meant to have. He's saying that if we make all the things in our lives, the accolades that we search for, the parties we want to be invited to, the friends that we wish we had, all of those things, he's saying if these things become the things in your life that you are searching and you try to find meaning from, they are useless and meaningless compared to Christ. Next to him and what he offers, you cannot find, Paul is saying, you can't find peace, you can't find true meaning, you can't find purpose in life. You could have everything. You could have the best cars, you could have the most wonderful wife or children or husband. You can have everything and still feel as though you have nothing in life because it all will leave you feeling empty at the end of the day. I heard this story about the creator of Minecraft. It's a video game, extremely popular video game for kids and adults alike. And I remember reading an article about the guy who created it. He had millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And he was doing an interview with maybe like Forbes magazine or some reputable um, magazine outlet. And I remember him saying that he, how the article said he disappeared from, from, from spotlight. No one knew where he was for like two years. He was just gone. And they finally caught up with him and asked him what he's been doing in his life. And he said, I have spent the last few years of my life trying to basically buy anything that I could get my hands on. And then at the end, it was this part of the article. It was very interesting. And he said, but you know what I found? He said, I was depressed. He said, I was so miserable. I had everything. I had all the money I could, could, I could more money than I knew what I could do with it. I spent it on everything, vacations, vacation homes. I was flying around from place to place with a jet. I could buy women is what he was saying. He said, I could do all of these things. And at the end of the day, I hated my life. Does that sound different than what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying compared to Christ, the relationship, the experience that he's had with him, he's found something meaningful in his life that he can't get anywhere else. He says, I will gladly trade away everything if it means that I can have this for the rest of my life. It's so interesting to me. So the word gain and the word loss that he says in there, he says, I could gain everything. He says, but I consider it all loss. We know what those words mean, right? We understand business gains and losses. Jesus even said it. Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the world but lose his soul? And interestingly else, 
In the, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27, there's this story that's talking about a, a ship that's passing through and it's going through the storm and there's a shipwreck that's about to happen. And the same word that Paul uses for loss in the Greek is the same word that's used in Acts 27 that describes sailors on this ship throwing the cargo off of their ship to save their lives because it's about to crash or it's about to sink because of the storm. The same word there is implying all of the things that we make life about at Christmas time, all the gifts and having to get things to make people feel like we love them and all the stress that comes with all of the the party planning, all those things, and they are good things. But if we make those things in our life the things, Paul is saying they are like things that weigh us down. They're like cargo on on a ship that is weighing us down in the storms of life. And if we don't have Jesus lifting us up, the word for loss is the idea of willingly saying this stuff means nothing. I would rather have a life with Jesus than a life full of things that I drown in the ocean with. That's what Paul is saying. That's the picture that he's painting here, that everything in life is a meaningless gift worth throwing away if we don't know Jesus. And what we do need, though, is a new perspective. How can we get through Christmas without feeling like this matters to nothing? How can we get up every day and go to work? How can we live our lives in the same routines over and over again and not feel like our lives are meaningless? We need a new perspective. I know I'm speaking to somebody here today. I believe that I am. I I just sensed this, this week as I was preparing this message that there are people in the room today who feel like their life is meaningless, or that they don't know what they're doing and why they're doing it, especially at Christmas time. It just exacerbates all that we struggle with and feel, and I believe that there is hope for you today. How can we turn the meaningless into the meaningful? There are two quick parables or teaching stories that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 13 that I want to read them real quick and apply them very quickly to our lives, and I believe that if we apply these principles to our lives, not just in Christmas, But all throughout our life, we will be able to see how the meaningless becomes meaningful. Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. This is one parable, a teaching story that Jesus uh, taught. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that was buried in a field that a man found and then reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. This is what Paul understood in Philippians 3. This idea that the relationship with Jesus is priceless. It is something that cannot be found anywhere else. If you have a relationship and truly meet Jesus... He impacts your life in a way that is not found with amount of money, with a wife or a husband, or by having children. And whatever it is that we search for in life to try to make ourselves feel like we are meaningful, like our place on this planet or in this massive universe matters, nothing will bring us to that understanding except a connection with our creator, who is Jesus. Paul understood that, and that's what Jesus was saying. He says, it's worth selling everything. It's worth it. That's why we see Christians in other countries who have to make the choice whether or not you would like your life or your family or the things that you have or Jesus. And if you choose Jesus, you lose your head. The reason that they choose that is because they've discovered it. They have experienced the power of what God gives them despite all of the things in their life that are good. 
they understood that. They had a relationship with him. So that's what Jesus is trying to say here. So in order for us to have a new perspective where the meaningless becomes meaningful, we have to realize that what Jesus offers is more valuable than what you could ever acquire on your own. We have to realize that what Jesus offers is more valuable than anything that we could ever acquire on our own. I have searched high and low for meaning in life. And every time I come back feeling empty. And when I have met Jesus, I have experienced his grace in my life and how he has restored me from when I have been broken, when I have felt guilt and shame in my life over the choices that I have made and the things that I've done to myself and to other people. And that feeling of brokenness, he has restored me of that and given me new life and new purpose. I have experienced that I am never alone. When I am afraid, I can sing the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings because I've experienced his faithfulness. I've experienced his victory in my life. I have seen him take situations and transformed them. I have seen it firsthand. And that's what Jesus is saying. Come, check it out, see it, experience what I can offer and you will realize that everything else is rubbish. Everything else is meaningless without him adding meaning to it. Now, that's the second point. If we want to have the perspective to make things meaningful in our life that feels meaningless, this is what Jesus says, Matthew 13, verses 31 to 33. He tells another parable. This is so interesting. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and it becomes a full tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. And then he said another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which is yeast, that a woman took a small amount of and mixed it into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. What's happening here? Jesus is saying, That the things in your life that are meaningless without him suddenly become purposeful and meaningful when you insert him into the mix. When you put him at the center of your life, suddenly your job has value and purpose to it. Now your job is something as a tool that it was meant to be in your life that God can use to bring meaning and value to you, to your family, and to your friends around you. He can use your relationships. He can add meaning to those things because it's, Jesus is the missing ingredient in all of our lives that when we put them on the pedestal as the thing that we worship, suddenly it's not worthy of worship because it is only an inanimate object or a vague concept of something that can change our lives. It does not. It is always going to be limited in our ability. But until we insert Jesus in it, Jesus is worthy of being worshipped. He is the thing that is worthy to be setting our life after, to follow after. He has the power to change us. And suddenly now, just like the yeast in a little bit of dough that spreads throughout the whole thing, the presence of God now changes not just our lives, but it impacts our workplace. It impacts impacts our relationships. If you have a broken relationship in your life, you need to insert Jesus into that space. If you have a financial problem in your life, Jesus can fix that problem. That doesn't mean he's going to give you all the money. What it means is he's going to start looking at the way you use money in the first place and change how you use it to show you how you can get out of these problems. The presence of Jesus in your life is what is the catalyst, the engine that makes everything else go. So when we look at Christmas and we think about how, how so often we feel empty or tired and exhausted in the holiday, it's because we're making the thing that's not supposed to be the thing, we're trying to make it the thing that it's about. And at the end of the day, we hope and we wish that, that we would feel more meaningful about our holiday season. 
But in reality, we can have no gifts, no parties, no family or friends to share with the holiday. And if we had Jesus Christ and a vibrant relationship in it, we would have an incredibly meaningful Christmas season. And once we realize that, that Christmas is not about all those other things, and I mean really no, because I think everybody here goes, yeah, Christmas is about Jesus. Like I think everybody in here would admit, yes, the reason for the season is Jesus. Like I think we get that. But in our hearts, if we truly make it about him, the way that we see the holiday, the way that we look out and we view how we give, we give out of generosity. We don't give to get. We don't give to manipulate people in our family so that they'll like us. We don't attend parties in hopes that people will, will, will like us or that to keep up appearances. No, we do it because it's, it's a fellowship and opportunities with people. When you have Jesus in your life, it transforms everything that you see and every way that you look. It changes you and then it adds meaning. It's like the Wizard of Oz. I remember in the beginning of The Wizard of Oz, you know, when the house plummets into Oz, and then Dorothy, it's all black and white, and as soon as she opens the door, what happens? The whole city is, is vibrant, beautiful colors. This is what it's like when we insert Jesus into our lives. Without him, our life is black and white, meaningless, empty. But when we put Jesus into our life, it becomes a vibrant art landscape that now suddenly the things that were mundane, the things that were boring, the things that seemed pointless can now suddenly have value and meaning and purpose to them. This is what happens in a relationship with Jesus. Know that Jesus doesn't want to eliminate the good things in our lives, but that he wants to restore meaning to them. So for us to have the new perspective, the perspective that helps us turn from the meaningless things to meaningful, whether it's at Christmas or whether it's all throughout our lives, first we have to realize that what Jesus offers is more valuable than anything else that we could ever acquire on our own. And then we have to know that Jesus doesn't want to eliminate the good things in our lives, but instead he wants to restore meaning to them. And this is really what the whole message is all about. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is our big idea of the day. Everything hinges on this. Discovering the who of Christmas makes the what of everything else matter. Discovering the who, the Jesus, understanding that he is, is the baseline for all of it. Discovering the who of Christmas makes the what of everything else matter. If you want your Christmas to be meaningful, Focus on Jesus. Put him at the center. If you want your life to mean something, give it to Jesus. Put him at the center. He will turn everything into your life, everything in your life into something valuable, purposeful. There is not a single thing in your life that he cannot use or repurpose or take and use it for his good and to bring value and meaning to those around you and to yourself. But it all starts with him. Would you stand with me today? How can we apply this to our lives? How can we begin to turn the meaningless in, in our lives into the meaningful? What are some practical steps that we can take to ensure that we don't focus on the meaningless things in our lives? Number one, you need to say yes to Jesus today. You have to say yes to the one who created. He's called the author and the finisher of our faith. John 1 talks about how God, how Jesus was, was existing in the beginning, that all things had been created through him. So in order for us to have the valuable, meaningful, purposeful life that he has called us to, the thing that every one of us, I believe, are searching for, 
We have to say yes to the one who created it in the first place. And I want to give you a chance to do that in a moment. Number two, we need to rebuild our holiday rhythms to focus on Jesus instead of gifts and events. Again, we're not talking about how gifts aren't good. We're not talking about that events aren't good. We're saying we need to rebuild the rhythms of our holiday life around him, around meaningful, thoughtful moments of what they mean. And if you give gifts but don't know why you give them, that's an indicator that you're in the wrong priority space. If you give gifts but know that it is a generosity and it comes from the love of Christ, then that's probably in a good space. You see what I'm saying? We need to rethink about the way that we orient our lives. If you're too busy to even take time to think about what Jesus means in your life at Christmas, then you need to rebuild your rhythms at Christmas time. Number one, say yes to Jesus. Number two, rebuild your holiday rhythms to focus on Jesus instead of gifts and events. And number three, look for ways to integrate Jesus into your daily routine. If you're feeling like your day is mundane, if you feel like your day is boring, if it's pointless, if it's, you don't have any life or vibrancy, if you feel like Dorothy's house before the door was open, then look for ways to integrate the life and color of Jesus into your daily life. Worship on the way to work. Put scriptures on your wall. Look for art in beautiful spaces and look for God's creativity around wherever you are. Find ways to integrate him. Bring Jesus into your conversations. Bring him into your relationships. Look for practical, simple ways to integrate your faith into your life. And you will begin to see how the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear and says, I made that. I created that. I brought this about for you today. You'll see his work in your life if you begin to do that. So this series that we're beginning. Next week, we're talking about the awkward gift. This is a little bit of a different Christmas series. It's not just fluffy, snowflake-shaped Christmas messages, but I believe it is powerful. This transcends beyond our Christmas season. Long after Christmas is over, we struggle with the feeling of purposeless in our lives all the time. And this, pre- this concept is so practical for us. If we can grab a hold of who Jesus is and what he offers to us, we will begin to look at all the things that grip us so differently. And we'll find meaning in the middle of life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want the meaning in our lives. We want purpose in our lives. We want this Christmas season to be full of good things. But none of it matters if we don't have the truest of gifts in our lives. What I want to do is give an opportunity for anyone in the room today who would like to say yes to Jesus this morning. We're going to just pray together. And if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you want to say yes to him. You, your heart has been crying out. It's been just like tight in your chest all morning as I've been preaching and talking about this Jesus and what he offers, what he's offered me, what he's done in my life. If that's you today, it's all you have to do to receive, to begin receiving the meaning and purpose in your life. What you need is your soul to be reconnected to your creator. And that happens by just talking to him and telling him that you want to know him. And the Bible tells us that something powerful happens. Something incredible takes place when we say yes to Jesus in our heart. He says that his spirit comes and touches our heart and it touches our soul in a way that we cannot do in any other way. And when we say yes to him, that it revives our soul and creates a connection, a pipeline back to our God. That's all it does. And it gives us the ability to know him and it changes everything. And if anybody in the room today wants to say yes to that thing, to say yes to Jesus and begin following him, we're all going to pray together. And you just make this prayer yours today. 
And that's what happens. Would you all just, all as one body, let's all repeat this together so that we all say it together. Jesus, I invite you into my life. I want to know you. I want my life to have meaning. I want to experience the good things you have for me. I believe in you. Show me who you are. Guide me from now on. Amen. We're going to go ahead and move into our response moment. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.